Hello and welcome to Cinemakers. This is the first time. I don't even know how to intro. I, Mike, I'm so lost already. I don't know how to intro this because this is a standalone episode. I feel like, and this is unintentional, I feel like every time I do an episode with you now, I botch the opening and not intentionally. It's just, I can't do it. I just can't do it. But today we are doing a sort of bonus episode. This is something that we've had an idea for since we start. We came up with the idea of Cinemakers, that instead of just doing directors with long tenures, in between those two, we're going to do people with uh, two or three movies. So today we're talking about Fede Alvarez. We're talking about Evil Dead, his remake, as well as Don't Breathe. So that's exciting. Cool. We're going to get to that shortly. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. And man, this is a, we are off to a rollicking start. <laughs> episode 33. We've got a guest who has never been on an episode with us before. And I mean, he knows us, but we're not putting the best foot forward. We will get to him in a minute. This is episode 33. Yes, Fede Alvarez. Bit of housekeeping number one. The next director we're doing in full is Christopher Nolan. We love Soderbergh. We thought Soderbergh was great. So many of his movies are fun to talk about. We figure we need to sort of ramp up the profile of a director. Yeah. And who better than to go with Christopher Nolan? Exactly. Yeah. I'm super excited. I think this is a great idea. We're going to have a whole new guest host with us the entire series that we're doing. We're going to have Chris Mattiello with us from Now and Again fame. Yep. And he's been on other episodes with us. He's been on Cage Club and Keanu and Charlize. He's been on all those. He will be on Christopher Dolan. I think we were going to do an episode. The first episode was going to be the short films and then do following next. But the short films, like, we can't find one or two of the three. So I think we can just do all together. So we're going to start some point this summer. We don't have an exact release date yet, but it'll be on this feed. But the first episode will be following as well as some of his short films. So that's a bit of housekeeping number one. Very exciting. Number two, we also have another Soderbergh movie coming out shortly. Hitting Blu-ray in June is Unseen. So as soon as that is available on home video, Tobin, Mike, and myself, we will talk about it, we will review it, and we will put it out to the world. Also looking forward to that. Soderbergh will never die. He will just keep on making movies. And I I saw that and I got to catch that in theater. So I'm really looking forward to checking that out again and talking about that with you guys. Yeah, I have not seen it yet. So I'm excited for that. The final thing I want to say is that both of these movies that we're talking about today are very graphic. Both of them depict violence against women. Both of them have sexual assault in them. So this is something that if you are sensitive to these types of themes uh we respect you feel free to check out now yeah Uh, this is uh, a lot more intense than what Soderbergh ever covered (laughs) and I think more intense than what we cover on any of our other shows to this point also you know and it's uh for both better and worse I think we will get to that shortly but if you are bothered by that content it's understandable. You can check out. So just we wanted to put the business up front so that if you are interested in, you know, the directors and the, the bigger things, the PG-13 movies and all the sort of fun stuff and Batman and all that cool stuff, that's coming next. But today we are talking about Fede Alvarez. And with us today, we have the man who inspired us to do Fede first... Inspired Joey <laughs> to do Fede first. <laughs> oh, no. Well, yeah. I mean, inspired me because his podcast on the Cage Club Podcast Network, Real Bad, one of our newest podcasts, he and his friends did the first two Evil Dead movies. So they did The Evil Dead and Evil Dead 2. And at the end of each episode of Real Bad, they have a great segment called Real Good. And what Real Good is, is that if you like the idea of the movie that we talked about, but you don't want to watch this movie, here's a better version of it. And our guest 
still haven't said your name, still keeping on a real down low, said he loves this remake, the 2013 movie. And I was like, I think I hate that movie, but I want to watch it again. And I figured we wanted to do like a little bit of a Cinemaker's interstitial, if you will. Mm-hmm. Good call. Yeah. And I figured this was a great way to kick this off to talk about Evil Dead and Don't Breathe, both from Fede Alvarez. We have with us today, Nick Jenkins. Hello, Nick. How's it going, guys? Good, good, good. Welcome. Good. Thank you so much for having me. This is uh, exciting, and I have a lot to say about both movies. So do I. Likewise. <laughs> Who boy. So, so Nick, we've never done this before where we've talked. We've, actually, we've never done a podcast before where we talked about two movies in one. Oh, yeah. New ground. New ground. This is new ground across the board. Take a drink. No. <laughs> <laughs> Let's quickly, all three of us, give an impression of the history of the films. Like, have you seen these both before? Was this the first time? And just on a real high level, did you like them? Which did you like better? Did you like either of them? Both? Neither? Whatever. Nick, you are the guest. We will allow you to go first. Okay, cool. So I'll put myself out there. I had never heard of Fede Alvarez before Evil Dead. I know he made a short film called Panic Attack, and that was successful. He did all of the visual effects himself, I think, and it was enough with his idea for an Evil Dead film that Sam Raimi, Rob Tappert, and Bruce Campbell gave him the job to do it, and he did it. And it's a very, in my opinion, it's a very intense film. We'll get into the the hows and whys of that a little bit later. But I still, watching it again, I still actually do like this movie. I have some problems with it, but I really admire a lot of it. Not least of which, like, the lead performance by Jane Levy, I think, is wonderful. Just from a theatrical standpoint, I think she just lets it all go. And it's, it's one heck of a performance. And also worth pointing out, she's the star of both movies. Yes, I did not remember, and it was really, really kind of cool. Yeah, and I think she's, I think she, I think she (laughs) is great in both movies. I have nothing really negative to say about her, but uh, specifically in Evil Dead, I just, I loved her transformation, and I love how she really became a different character, and uh, and we'll talk about some of the themes there, but I still, I still like that movie. I think Don't Breathe is a despicable film. I really, really didn't like it. I hadn't seen it. I wanted to see it because I really liked Evil Dead. And I walked away from it just feeling bad. I just felt bad after watching it. And not in a horror kind of way, just in a way of like, what is what is humanity? What have we come to? So that's sort of my impression of both films. Mike, why don't you go? So I know that I think, Mike, you and I both had seen both of these before, right? Uh, yeah. So I saw this version of Evil Dead shortly after it came out, like on HBO and stuff. And I'm a huge fan of the original three. I love those movies. Like, I just feel like uh, ever since high school, I just, they've been a kind of like a constant rotation. So I was pretty weary back when I saw this for the first time, but I liked it back then. Like, I liked it. It played really well. There's aspects of it, I, story-wise, and like what they changed from the original, there's things I really like. But this time watching it, there's points where both movies actually lose me. Um, and this one loses me a little earlier. I still think that it's okay. I don't really like it as much as I did We'll get definitely get into the whys about it, but coming back this time to Evil Dead, it didn't really hit me like it did the first time, and I guess I just, I like it to be a little more tongue-in-cheek and a little more sort of goofy, and to me, when I thought of Evil Dead, this isn't what I was expecting. It was a little too grisly for what I wanted. For Don't Breathe, I actually watched it for the first time last Halloween during my 31 days of Oktoberfest, and I actually really liked it 
back then. Like, I was like, whoa, this is um, like an interesting sort of take on the home invasion. It's an interesting take on sort of like the quiet horror film. There's like Don't Look Now. And of course, this year when we have like A Quiet Place and stuff, like I thought that stuff was cool. And that's what worked best for me in the rewatch. There's just something about rewatching Don't Breathe that... I don't know. I was like bored the second time. I, I for some reason both movies just didn't play as well the second time around, and I ended up not liking them. I don't think either are necessarily like terrible movies or anything like that. But like for me, they don't really Evil Dead and Don't Breathe aren't really sort of the horror that I enjoy the most, and so therefore I didn't really enjoy these all that much. So I kind of hate still the Evil Dead remake. I think it's too torture porn for my tastes. I think the practical effects are cool, but I think it's just grisly to be grisly, and I don't think it works for me. Don't Breathe is the kind of movie that I love, and I remember really, really liking it in theaters, and then we get to the turkey baster, and I'm like, well, mm-hmm. I'm done. <laughs> and today, it's it's the same thing. It's like, I read your review because I'd seen both of them, so it's not like reading what you wrote, Mike, was going to influence me, and I saw, you know, it does play worse the second time around because I think the first time the movie does a good job or a job in putting you in the shoes of these three kids and they're assholes and they're thieves and they're you know despicable people but they're the protagonists and so you're sort of on their side but then they're taking on a war hero who's blind and lives alone Mm -hmm. and you're like oh they're monsters but then when you find out that he's the monster and they're just dumb kids then that sort of like reestablishes you in their corner especially in rocky in rocky's corner who's jane levy so the second time around when you know that the guy in the house is holding a girl hostage that he forcefully impregnated her with a turkey baster full of his semen so that she could provide him a new daughter to fulfill the daughter that she killed in a car accident that she was like acquitted of when all of that is laid out and it's all in your head even if you don't remember all of the details or all the twists and turns you're like oh yeah fuck this guy like i don't (laughs) give a shit and that like, I feel like some movies, like some horror movies, work so well. Like, like when you know what's coming, it, like, it works better, maybe. But here, it's just like, no, not at all. And Evil Dead, I mean, I think that we all sort of know Evil Dead. It's like, people go out to the woods for one reason or another, and they find a book, and, like, bad shit happens. And, like, that is more rewatchable. I think Don't Breathe, my TLDR is that Evil Dead is more rewatchable, I think. But I like Don't Breathe more, but I don't really want to watch either again. <laughs> yeah, that. that- that scene at the end of Don't Breathe kind of ruined not, I mean, like, this time around, it kind of ruined the movie for me. The first time around, it just, it was like, oh, here's, like, the real horror. You know, horror movies need to have horrible stuff in them. And I was like, okay, this is definitely horrible. And it took me a while for my mind to sort of, like, connect to actually what was really going on down there, you know? And so there's something about the impact of it the first time that, I guess, worked. Like, I guess the shock of it. But unfortunately, I feel like that's all it had going for it the second time was like, oh, just wait until we're gonna turn the tables on you at the end of this. And I was like, oh, I kind of would have wished that this was just like played out like a natural home invasion movie and we find out that this dude really is just a war hero and he's not keeping these people in his basement. What's remarkable is that Fede is writing and directing a Don't Breathe 2 
What? Where the log line is, let me get this right exactly because it boggles the mind. The log line on IMDb right now is the blind man returns to terrorize more unsuspecting people, which, what? He's like Jason now? <laughs> I don't know. Because the only quote unquote defense of his actions is that it was motivated by like a personal loss, right? This right. girl killed his daughter accidentally, but in his twisted sense of perception, he's like, she owes me something. Well, he's blind. Justice is blind. Yes. I mean, as disgusting as that is, there's like a sort of fucked up like chain of like A equals B equals C or whatever. But now if they're just turning into like a vigilante to like get mad at kids because kids broke, like I don't like what? Yeah, I totally agree. And the problem I have with Don't Breathe is just honestly, I do like to compare these two movies. Both have very upsetting rape sequences. And Evil Dead, this version of Evil Dead to me, I like better than the original because the original kind of didn't know what it was doing. Like Sam... Raimi and his crew, they they just wanted to make a movie and they really didn't set any rules. They wanted to create a really horrible experience and to scare people, but they didn't quite do that. It's it's a mess of a film. Now, the other two are, are a very different story because they the whole team had learned a lot about filmmaking by then. And so this is a very interesting film to me in that it sort of sets out to do what the original Evil Dead tried to do, which is to make a grueling horror movie. And I, I love a grueling grueling horror movie and this is a grueling horror movie it's a movie about violation it's a movie about fighting the worst parts of yourself and and it's about self-harm like that's what that movie is about so to me even though i do think you could still write that movie without a rape scene in it it makes sense cognitively to me like how you get there in that film even in a way that it didn't work and and i really hate in the original evil dead that sequence in the original evil dead is terrible. It's so long. I rewatched it today. I was like, I can't believe this scene is still going on. (laughs) Yeah. At least thematically, it makes more sense in this movie that he made. Now, if you compare that to the things in Don't Breathe, and I have two issues here. One is, it feels like this movie is trying to make this scene a thrilling entertainment. And that bothers me. In the scene in Evil Dead, I believe we are supposed to feel horrified. We are supposed to feel empathy for her, and we are supposed to understand that this is not cool and this is terrifying. I don't get that sense in the other one. I think we're supposed to be feeling like we're on a roller coaster and don't breathe in that moment. And I don't appreciate that. Like that, I think, is where I come off feeling like this film is despicable. And the other thing is just on a basic storytelling thing, you talked about how there's a neat twist to the home invasion. And I agree with that. And I I also love a film that's a heist film gone wrong. I love it when you have a heist and something goes wrong and these thieves have to figure a way out. Like, I think that's cool. It can be supernatural. It can be whatever. But so I like that. But they give the twist away in the opening shot. So, okay. So this is something that I know that Mike knows that I hate. Mm-hmm. I hate. <laughs> like, okay. So Evil Dead starts in media res. Like, Evil Dead starts with, like, them on a literal witch hunt. And you're like, oh, shit. Because I remembered the way that Don't Breathe started. And I was like, is this the end of Evil Dead? Does this fucker do it every time? Does he always do the same thing? <laughs> and no, it's a different witch. It's a different thing yes. altogether. Or it's the same thing, but different time, whatever. Don't Breathe, like... Don't start your movie with the blind guy dragging Jane Levy down the street by her hair only to set up like, hey, we're going on this adventure. Like, we know where it winds up. How is this effective storytelling? Yeah. 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 That's my point. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. You got to start that movie like... 
two scenes later. It feels like a studio interference that they said, oh, they're not going to understand that. But it, I don't know, it seems so artfully done that I feel like it was purposeful. So what I genuinely love about Don't Breathe is that I feel like, and this might come, like there might be sort of a bias here that I just really don't like the Evil Dead movie, but I feel like in the first 10 or 12 minutes of Don't Breathe, we get a better sense of place of people, of motivation, of these three main characters that I feel like I got in Evil Dead. Like, I feel like I know who they are. I know why they're doing what they're doing. I love that it's set in Detroit. Like, I love this, like, revolution of having movies set in Detroit. And I'm going to compare this a lot, I think, to It Follows, which is one of my favorite horror movies of the last 10 years, if not ever. I just love, there's just this, like, boom in movies, like horror movies and others in Detroit. And I love that. And I feel like we get a sense of, like, people in place here really well. And I feel like if you just start with them in the car, that works. Like, you don't have to show him dragging them. I mean, it's slower. It's not as immediate of a punch in the face, but, like, you don't ruin the third act of your movie that way. Yeah, I think the movie's trying to say also with that, I mean, intentionally or not, what it says is, like, there's a safeness to it. No matter what happens to this girl, like, she's going to be okay for most of the movie. I don't like the way it does that either. It gives way too much away. And I also feel like, you know, that's like the whole first Deadpool movie is making fun of this type of thing. But I agree with you about the characters in Don't Breathe. I do like how they're set up, but I also actually do like how the characters in Evil Dead are set up. The first Evil Dead, they're not characters, you know? Like, they're as thinly veiled as possible. It's just five random teens. What I like about Evil Dead, this setup, is especially the Mia character. Like, I like the whole concept that they're up there out in the woods trying to kick her addiction habit, and I love the whole idea of we're going to have to kill demons to kill our demons like actually face like actual demons and stuff and i like how that she set up i like the dynamic between the friends and everything i mean i think the acting is a little better in don't breathe than the teens that they got in evil dead but i still buy them my issue with the story for evil dead is what happens is it kind of stops becoming mia's movie she's not the one that's going to be fighting the demons it's going to be her brother that's actually going toe-to-toe with most of the possessed friends and stuff so like as soon as she goes in the basement i'm i'm kind of half checked out story-wise but but i'm still trying to you know maintain interest with the visuals and and like the emotional impact but just i wish that they worked that a little better like that whole idea because it is you know based on evil dead so i also feel like they're sort of burdened by we have to hit this part we have to hit this we have this callback that callback and another callback where all we really needed was the book of the dead i i just i like that about it the most. I wish that they really stuck with with that and then I really think I would have really loved this movie. I mean, I would I'd like to agree and counter. I definitely think that the acting ability of the cast, not the least of which is like Stephen Lang is just a wonderful actor to have in your movie in Don't Breathe as the blind guy. Like he's he's just good whenever you put him anywhere. So, yeah, there, there is a difference there. And I also kind of agree with the idea that Mia was supposed to be a main character and then wasn't a main character, but then she's a main character at the end. The thing was, I was more invested in her journey of transforming and being taken away and then coming back and having to literally fight herself. So I found that interesting. I also like the idea that they dressed her brother in basically the same clothes as Ash and that makes you think it's going to be his movie, but then it's not. 
it's not his story at the end of the day. It's still Mia's story. So I can understand why that doesn't work for some people, but I enjoyed it. So that works for me. The biggest problem I have with Evil Dead is they start off with really good rules, which is a problem I had with the original Evil Dead. There were no rules, just stuff started to happen. I like the fact that nothing really happens until somebody reads from the book in this iteration. And then I like that it seems like all of this damage is happening to them. This self-harm, like it's it's not something that can be taken back, except then Mia seems to be healed yeah. of almost all of her damage yep. by the end, which confused me more than anything. And I shouldn't be confused like that in a movie <laughs> because I like a film that doesn't pull its punches. And this one was not pulling its punches. It was it was going for it. And then that happened. And I was just like, wait, is any of this real? Did anything actually happen? And then I guess it did because, you know, she cuts her own arm off and well, no, she has it trapped under the car and pulls it off basically. But like those things sort of get under my skin. And in terms of Don't Breathe, I do appreciate that it isn't saddled with Evil Dead's legacy in any way. It's its own film and it can do that. I just really became sick to my stomach by the end of it. So that's that's my problem with it more than anything. So I don't really have this like legacy of, you know, fandom about Evil Dead. Like I've seen the first two movies once each. And, you know, every time we do a podcast, I look on IMDb for the trivia and like almost all of the trivia for this remake is this was like from this in the first movie and this was like this from the first movie and this is like because he's dressed like this or because this happens here and it's just like I don't care and so I don't get those like cool moments like oh like just like in the first movie and I'm not saying like that's a bad thing to have because like if I was super invested into it like I would I would like that if I love the original movie and I think this is a good remake I'm gonna be super tickled anytime something happens so like I don't want to cheapen anybody's enjoyment of the first movie just for me I don't have that so it doesn't work like that for me and so I do feel though like just Nick was saying, it feels tethered to this script that not only that they wrote, but also the one that, you know, Sam Raimi and his friends wrote back in 1980 or 1981. Like, they're like, well, we have to, we want to tell our own story, but we also want to do all of this stuff. We got to sort of make two movies in one. And it just feels like there's a lot going on, but also at the same time, not a lot going on. Like, I don't, I don't know. Well, it's interesting. Like, there's a big question, I think, for remakes and reboots and adaptations. Like, who are you making it for? Are you making it for somebody that is completely divorced from the source material? Or are you making it for a fan of the source material? And usually, you'll have a filmmaker who comes down on one side. Like, with Lord of the Rings, Peter Jackson came down on the side of like, well, above all else, this film has to function as a film. These films have to function as a film. And here's some little Easter eggs for people who are, you know, big fans of Tolkien and whatever. But by and large, those films work on their own. You don't have to be a Tolkien fan to get the story and what's going on. And I do feel like that is a crutch here that they are really riding that line in Evil Dead, that this is a remake and some of it works as its own film. But I think it is made with the idea of like, this is a giant Easter egg for fans of the film. Now, it's interesting to me because I don't really like that first film. I love Evil Dead 2, and I love Army of Darkness, but I don't like the first Evil Dead. And if you listen to our podcast, it's mostly me complaining. Yep, it sure <laughs> <about> is. <laughs> how it's, it's just me complaining about how shitty it is. And I appreciate the fact that this is a very well-made version of that shitty movie. And that's that's impressive to me. I definitely see that. Like, this is absolutely, like, a well-made movie. Like, there's no question, like, production-wise, I feel like it's very top-notch. Oh, man, cinematography alone. Yeah. Well, so I, I don't want to disagree 
agree, but I sort of disagree. But I'll let Mike, Mike, you can go ahead. Well, like, so this movie, what I feel like it did is it basically took the old movie and, like, plastered, like, the modern sort of horror aesthetic to it. Like, it looks like a lot, like, it looks good. It looks better than, but it reminds me of Saw and Chainsaw Massacre remakes. And it just has sort of this modern edge to it that feels like, oh, everything just has to be super hardcore and like the idea here is shock value you know when you're splitting a tongue or chopping off arms and things at this rate I feel like it's weird because fans of the original stuff like if this was for fans I feel like it would be more like the TV show like that to me feels like a tribute to the fans of Evil Dead this is weird like it feels like half a fan tribute and half like for gore hounds that like really love the extreme stuff and I'm not too sure I mean maybe it's just me being a big fan of the originals like I didn't evolve into a huge like extreme horror fan I like my stuff a little lighter I guess I love 80s horror I just that threw me like it does kind of feel like not only two movies story wise but sort of tonally it just totally doesn't feel like Evil Dead to me it feels like it wants to break free of the chains of Evil Dead and be its own thing maybe be a movie called Detox that takes place in the woods in a cabin you know but doesn't have like this magical book or something else like that's what for me watching it it was like oh if you just sort of remove the Evil Dead element we kind of have an original piece here. Well, so what's weird is that when he went to make Don't Breathe, apparently Fede Alvarez decided that he was going to have a movie that was less bloody, with an original storyline, more suspense, and no dependence on spooky supernatural elements. He said all of which felt he were currently overused. Which, like, I mean, Evil Dead came out three years earlier. Like, if you feel that way about the second movie you make, like, why would you make the first one at all? You know what I mean? Like, if you think basically everything that describes your first movie is overused and you don't want to do it again, Again, why do it? It kind of feels like in the in the time of movies, like there were just it feels like the point almost where the wave broke. Like there was just this wave, I feel, of like there's all the Blumhouse horror stuff coming back. And I feel like this kind of stuff is sort of fading. Like we're getting more into the ghost story or the haunting story. You know what I'm saying? Like it kind of is moving a little away from, from this kind of Which I'm glad about because I'm done with torture porn. Like I'm d I don't want to see this. I never really was into Hostel and all those kinds of things either. But maybe it was a phase and he's out of that phase. I like torture porn from a sociological standpoint. I taught it at the uh, University of Montana. We taught a horror class that was modern horror. And torture porn had a very interesting place in it because yeah. it, it was a nice chance to talk about like, okay, well, how did we get here? Right. How did we get to this level of horror? And then specifically Hostel. Hostel is a great example of... It is torture porn and there's a lot there, but it's also a real interesting commentary on Americans abroad and how frightened at that point was after September 11th and the George W. Bush campaign was making a lot of Americans feel very unwelcome in other places. And that seems to be what that film is picking up on. Well, that's also like Saw too. Like Saw was sort of had its foundation or roots sort of like in Guantanamo Bay and stuff, right? Like it's sort of like that's in the news and that's what we're sort of playing off of a little bit or am I wrong there? I think there might have been something about that I didn't study Saw as much, but I do know that there was something about that. And like horror films, I think are just a great horror films and science fiction. But for me, horror films are just a great way to look at the zeitgeist. They're just a great way to see what we're afraid of as a society. And that can be combined, you know, into worldviews, or it can be talking about the United States. It can be talking about just Oregon. There are many different ways you can do it. And so I think there was also a lot in Saw about like who gets to decide who lives or dies. And there was a lot about like insurance companies and things like that that was also a big thing at that time. 
So I think there's a lot there and I completely understand. And I understood when students were like, no, I don't think torture porn, not only is it not my thing, I don't think it should exist. And it's like, you know, I would love to hear your argument for that, blah, blah, blah. But it was always a fascinating discussion to basically see people turn and go, oh, oh, I see how we got here. That other stuff wasn't working. So we're going to push the envelope. And then we've pushed the envelope so far that we then come back. And I think that can happen on an individual filmmaker level as well. Like he could push it so far and then go, I, I just don't want to do that again. Yeah. And, and he pushed it. <laughs> you know, it, it, well, I mean, it just feels like a guy who got a lot out of his system, too. Like sometimes there's just first movies that feel like that. Maybe he, I'm never going to get a chance to make movie again so and also this is a beloved franchise by very many people horror fans so like i don't want to screw it up so yeah maybe he was just banking on this could be it i don't know i made i made this really weird short film that it's goofier it's sci-fi it feels very different than these two movies feels like the sensibilities of a completely different person you know and there are still horrible things in don't breathe it's just it feels like he took it to the other degree it's like okay i'm gonna go as hard as i can on on one movie and then i'm just gonna sort of pull back as far as possible with this other one and just put in the moments that i absolutely need and they're gonna you know hopefully they're big enough moments that i'll get the reaction i would have gotten out of something that was just you know raining blood in the last movie so speaking of raining blood, I want to go back to what I sort of interjected before, rudely so, was that I don't think the first movie looks great. I think the final raining blood scene is beautiful, and that's all practical effects. I was like 50,000 gallons of fake blood or whatever. I think that looks great. I think the whole movie, for the most part, I know that's like what it's going for, but it just looks too muddy, and it, everything sort of looks the same to me. And Don't Breathe, I think, is gorgeous. And I think it's a completely different aesthetic. I mean, it's a completely different locale, all this different stuff. But I think it's beautiful to look at. I also think the camera work that they're doing inside, like when they first go into the house and the camera's like following them all around, then I think it's probably, you know, computer spliced or whatever. But like it's this like crazy like tracking shot that follows all of them into different rooms, even follows them upstairs and like under his bed and like over the bed. And like it's a work of art, I think. Because I remembered in the episode of Real Bad, Nick, you were saying that how good you think Evil Dead looks. And I was just like, I don't remember. Like, And, and maybe it's just not my aesthetic. Like, I love movies that just like look hyper-saturated and like very vivid colors. And, you know, these sweeping aerial shots of the opening of Don't Breathe that are like looking at this abandoned Detroit city and just that's cool to me. Like, I like that. Like, the Evil Dead where everything is just sort of brown and dirty and muddy and gets like somehow dirtier and muddier and bloodier as it goes <laughs> <laughs> like, I get that, like, they're doing a very good job in terms of they have, like, a color palette, they have, like, a set design, production design, and they are going for it, and I think they're hitting it. It's just that that's not what I want. Like, I don't think that's interesting to look at for a movie. Like, I'd rather be, like, blown away by, like, trippy, and not trippy colors, but, like, just, like, a, a multitude of colors, which I think Don't Breathe does, and I really appreciate. Like, they're both shot on digital, I think, right? And, like, it just yeah. feels to me that Don't Breathe is just so much more beautiful than Evil Dead. You know, this is beauty is in the eye of the beholder, and when the first few shots of Don't Breathe started, especially once they start going into the house, I was like, God, this is beautiful two is what I thought. Mm -hmm. um, I thought I love the cinematography in Evil Dead. I love that muddy aesthetic, but I also love like the composition of the frame. I love how Fide and his cinematographer held close-ups. It's always weird to me when a first-time feature filmmaker seems as confident behind the camera as Alvarez does in Evil Dead. I don't feel like there's a wasted shot. I don't feel like there is anything that is like nothing feels like reshoots. It all feels 
feels solid and, and purposeful. I could be wrong, obviously, but it feels like a very confident film. I mean, especially compared to the original, right? Like where they're just like, oh, hey, God. let's learn how to use a camera <laughs> while making this movie. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and so my aesthetic, I preferred Evil Dead, but I think both are absolutely gorgeously shot. This is a tie for me in terms of just beautiful things to look at. I also like them both. It's hard to say I like one more than the other. Like, I think they service their films perfectly, basically. Like, I think Evil Dead cinematography is gritty like the movie is grittier i feel like i'm out in the woods i i don't i like when the eyes start glowing it really pops against the mudded muted color palette and everything i just think they're both shot different ways for certain reasons like in don't breathe we're in like more of a confined space you know we're still like we're in a cabin in the woods but we go outside and we go down you know there's there's places there's places to breathe in that more i feel and so i think he has to get a little trickier with don't breathe and i do like it at times i was like oh i think he's sort of hitting the head on the nail a little by like floating around the room too much to show us but no like i end up really liking that kind of stuff about it and that kind of holds it together a second viewing like it, there's definitely some really cool looking shots and stuff going on like i was really interested with the inside of a blind man's house and how that was portrayed oh yeah i love the production design for both films too the production design and don't breathe is beautiful. I guess ultimately what I'm trying to say is like he's able to craft two completely different looks and they both look really nice to me. <laughs> you know, like that that's really interesting. Yeah. I feel the same way. And I, I think too, like I have a sort of visceral reaction to post Fight Club David Fincher in that he did start doing a lot more of that camera swirling around going through door locks and stuff like that that never really worked for me. So when I see it in other films, I sort of have a knee-jerk reaction that is like, ah, that's a thing I don't like. But I think it worked better in here. And I know it's not popular to poo-poo something that David Fincher's done, but... Well, that's <laughs> we're going to tackle him eventually. Tobin, that's the other guy that Tobin signed up for that we're going to cover eventually. And I think David Fincher's movies, and I'm glad, like, that you're the first person I think that I've ever talked to who doesn't 100% love him. Oh, check out my Alien 3 episode of Third Time's a Charm coming out soon. I <laughs> <laughs> not seen Alien 3. But like, David Fincher, not to get too far off track, I think makes beautiful movies that I don't that don't make me feel anything. And that bothers me. And I think we're going to get into that in a big way. Like, he's made movies that I really, really love. But then like newer ones that I've only seen once or twice maybe, like I don't love them the way that I should. And I do get that criticism of the swirly, computer-generated, computer-led camera or whatever. Like, I, I understand that. And I sort of agree with that. I think here it doesn't bother me, although I did see Mike's, I think you called, you just called it like a little too, little too floaty and I saw like, because every shot, like even the aerial shots of the street and like when they're in the house like everything's sort of floaty and I was trying to think like thematically if there was a reason and I don't think there is. I think it's just to keep it breathing in a way. I, I mean, that is actually, I wrote that in my review on Letterboxd. Like, I do like the camera. I don't know if that came across or anything, but I like how it's floaty and, and lifted and just this idea that they are trapped, but the camera is not. They can't get out and they have no free movement. And there's so many scenes in the movie where they're just sort of standing still, trying not to make a noise. And those are my favorite moments when the guy's just sort of like waving the gun around right in front of their face. And like that to me is like, I could take 90 minutes of that and I'd be terrified. And so it's interesting how like the camera is free to do whatever the hell it wants and they're not. So maybe that's something. I also feel like there's a sense, well, to me, I, I'll say that for me, there was a sense that I was always worried the camera was going to bump into something and make a noise. <laughs> 
I want to talk about the blind guy in Don't Breathe, because I think it's interesting. I would assume, you know, the way that we're talking about him, the way that we give him credit for the way that he makes these movies, because what's also interesting to me is that he co-wrote both of these movies with the same guy. He wrote both these movies with someone named Roto Saegs, maybe? And he's also coming back for Don't Breathe too. That's what's interesting, because when we did Cinemakers, like, Soderbergh's written probably about half of his movies, maybe, but not all of them. So here you really get, like, a sense of, like, his, like, true vision through and through. So I like that. You know, the credit and the critiques both directly apply to him, whether they're in front of the camera, behind the camera, whatever. What I think is strange, and I don't know if there's a reason to it or, like, what the reason would be, I feel like... I think it's just, I mean, he sort of, I guess, becomes like a Freddy or Jason. He becomes like superhuman by the end of this movie, but he's not really, like, he doesn't have heightened hearing. He just sort of has his whole house memorized. Like, I was really fascinated by how he was depicted in his disability, because it feels like he was blinded probably in war. Is that safe to say? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think they said, yeah, he took a grenade shrapnel. Okay, so he's been like that for a while, and the only time that he really has, like, acute hearing is when Rocky at the end sets off the alarm and he gets deafened by it. I feel like there was an opportunity to play more like this, like, because they do a really, like, it's a really tense job of, like, not making noise and, like, you know, stepping, like, the phone vibrating, him shooting the phone. Like, that's always tense. But I feel like there's other points in the movie where they're, they're making a lot of noise and, like, he doesn't know exactly where they are. That, that feels strange to me. Yeah, I don't feel like it, and, you know, this is true of a lot of first movies in a series. I don't feel like they quite had him figured out or they were just too concerned about getting the characters where they needed to get them and they were just like oh well here she'll turn on the alarm and it'll deafen him because you know he's blind so he's got better hearing and yeah i agree we were, it was not very clear and maybe that's part of the mystery maybe they wanted to be like we don't know exactly you know what his strengths and weaknesses are yeah the second time watching it i kind of went to myself um like why doesn't he grab some weapons? Like, he's got to have some other types of training that he's still able to do while he's blind. Like, that was a thing to me. Is like, at times it felt like he couldn't even walk down the hall of his own house. And then other times he's, like, walking down the street outside, like, dragging the girl home. Or, like, the so, fact, like, I was marveling at the fact that he was able to repair that broken window. Like, grab the board and, like, I can't even, I can't hammer in nails with good eyesight in both eyes. Like, I can't do that. <laughs> and he's straight up killing it blind part of it could be he's so shocking like it's so weird like when they just turn around and he's just there he's such a presence and they really don't have to do much with him for a lot of the movie he doesn't even talk until the very very end when he gives his disgusting speech um about what he did i agree like i kind of would have loved if he just had sort of like not supernatural powers. I know Fated wanted to get away from that kind of thing, but, you know, like Daredevil, like something, you know, like you lose your sight in movies and you have enhanced senses. That's just the way it is. And to sort of not play with that was weird. And then to use it as like a, almost like a deus ex machina at the end there, like, oh, it's heightened hearing all of a sudden. Yeah, it it threw me a little, but luckily by the end, I was already checked out because he had done it. (laughs) (laughs) Luckily for this movie, I already thought it was a piece of shit. What is it with this guy and having basements where bad things happen? Like, what is, what is his fascination (laughs) with basements? 
I don't know. <laughs> I, I mean, they are scary places when, when I was a kid, you know, a dark basement at the end of a long stairway. Like, that's scary. Something subconscious with him, perhaps. I feel like I'm. this is going to sound like I'm really kicking this movie. And I didn't like it, so that's fair. It's the most obvious choice. The basement full of horrors. It's the most obvious choice. It's in Detroit. It's a dilapidated house. Probably a basement there, but... Would it have been more interesting to have been in the attic or something else or just, you know, strung up in the living room? But the goal is they have to find it. So they went with the basement. The basement is like, that's a whole thing in Evil Dead, right? Right. The, The basement, the cellar, as they say, that's iconic. And that was something also I wanted to talk about with the cinematography in Evil Dead was like, I loved how they used shadows. One thing that really bugs me about a lot of big budget movies that go to the theater is this need, Christopher Nolan, I'm looking at you, to have everything evenly lit and to not allow for there to be shadows and to use those shadows and to hide things in the shadows. Like that's something about low budget filmmaking I like. It's necessity, but it's still interesting. And I really liked that about this Evil Dead was especially in the cellar like there are just a lot of shadows and you're just seeing half faces and I I love it I'm into that stuff and what's really commendable and like even though I didn't love either movie and I really didn't like the first one at all <laughs> Evil Dead was made for 17 million dollars and it made like 100 million and then Don't Breathe was made for under 10 and made almost 160 so like <laughs> he's not oh, yeah. using a lot of money and making things that look really good so I think I read that they shot the external shots like the outside shots in for Don't Breathe in Detroit, and then the rest, the internal, was all in Hungary. So they're, like, really, like, going wherever they can go to be the cheapest they could possibly shoot it. Also helps that they only have, like, six people in the movie, and, like, three of them are only, like, in one scene. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, both movies are like that, you know? Yeah. Very small cast in a house involving a basement. He's got to... <laughs> he's either got to really <laughs> ride that or break out of it quick and make ten movies about five people in one room. <laughs> I don't know if either of you looked up what he's doing next, but in addition to Don't Breathe 2, he's also doing not a remake or a reboot, but apparently a continuation of Labyrinth. Oh, no kidding. Okay. Well, his next film is The Girl in the Spider's Web. Yeah, The Dragon Tattoo number two. Yes, because Fincher... What? They're, they're keeping that up? Yeah. Well, they replaced David Fincher with Fede, and they also, I think, replaced... Rooney? Rooney with somebody else altogether, too. Interesting. But they're not rebooting it. It's the same... Right, right, because it's a trilogy. Yes. But it's... No, but it's but it's not the same trilogy. This book comes after that trilogy. Oh, weird. So they've, they've skipped oh. two books, and they're going yeah. on to the next set. Is this the one that he didn't finish? Yes. Okay. Or at least or, or it's written by somebody else, and it's the same characters. Okay. Yeah, so I'm fascinated to see what he does with it. Like, that feels right in his wheelhouse, like his, you know, sadistic yeah. wheelhouse. Like, mm-hmm. Labyrinth feels not at all. Yeah, that's like a children's film. I mean, we, you know, Dragon Tattoo ends with a dungeon in a basement and some guy, you know, it's like the end of this, the end of Don't Breathe, you know, it's like a weird sex torture basement dungeon ending. There's none of that in Labyrinth. It's David Bowie singing with Muppets and Jennifer Connelly <laughs> trying to get her baby brother back. Like, it's it's adorably great and gothic, but no, like, I don't see this. This guy does not come to mind. It should be very interesting. Now, Mike, I don't know if you realize, and Nick, I'm assuming that this is going to go way over your head because there's no reason that someone like you, or honestly, someone like me or Mike should have seen this movie, but for very specific reasons we have. Mike, I don't know if you realize, but Mia's brother in the first movie, did you recognize who that was? Not Ash. He looks not Ash. super familiar, but I could not... He please. is one of the four guys in We Are Your Friends. Holy shit. 
I know. Oh, man. We're never going to be better than this. Which, Nick, if you don't know what We Are Your Friends is, it's a movie where Zac Efron plays an EDM DJ, and it is phenomenal. It is <laughs> magnificent. That's a class you could teach for sure. That would Zac be... Efron 101. <laughs> 101 through 401, like just all levels. But what's also fascinating to me is that all these different people, like I was looking up the kids in all the movies mm-hmm. because I recognized Jane Levy from both. There's one girl from Cloverfield, right? The girl in Evil Dead's from Cloverfield. Which the one to go first. girl? The, the black nurse? girl. Yeah, the okay, because yeah. she's also in That Awkward Moment, another Zac Efron movie. Oh my gosh. And which she's also apparently in a ton of Gotham episodes, which I don't watch. Uh, don't start. Don't do not do that to yourself. <laughs> <laughs> There's also Lou Taylor Pucci from Thumbsucker. So that's a shout out to Keanu Club. He's the one with the long hair and the glasses. Oh, I knew I recognized that dude. I was like, this dude's in something, but he doesn't have all that beard and stuff. That's crazy. Thank you. For, I know. Oh, man, I can sleep tonight. <laughs> and then in the second movie, obviously we have, like, I mean, he's been in a bunch of things that I've seen him in, but like he's always going to be Jack's son from Lost to me. Holy crap. You didn't realize <laughs> that? Because oh, again, it's, I was like, I know, I, that's so weird. And you want to hear something weirder, Joey? I did not recognize the lead actor, the lead girl from both movies. She looks so different as a blonde. Oh, yeah. I was like, when is this girl going to show up? And then a couple scenes in, I was like, oh, my god it's her i couldn't i totally didn't realize yeah nick i have i have an established history of being unable to tell when actresses are in a different hairdo or hairstyle or hair color or whatever i just can't recognize them i think the only reason i did is because while i was watching evil dead i looked it up i was like oh right she's in the other one so i just knew that from the jump like if i didn't know there's a good chance that i would not have known because it's just not the way my brain works second time watching it still waiting for her to show up for 10 minutes I would say there's, you know, something, you know, an issue with you having hair blindness, but there is also, those are two very different characters. Yes. Yeah. And she's yeah. she's doing a very good job at both of them. What's also crazy, and this is something that I did not recognize at all, these are three movies that I have seen multiple times, the third guy in Don't Breathe, the guy who dies really early, oh. I, like, oh. there were there were several things in this movie that, like, shocked me, like, the, I'd seen this before, but I forgot he died so early. But do you know who that is, Mike? I could not, no, this one I did Definitely, I didn't even try because he's covered with like... So he is Lady Bird's brother? What? Yeah. Not Saoirse Ronan. In the movie, Lady Bird's brother, who has like the pierced eyebrows and stuff and has dated the girl. He's like a rocker. At the end, he gets the job instead of the dad. Okay. I think. But the other thing he is for sure is in It Follows, which is a movie I've seen five or ten times, he is the other guy. He's not Keir Gilchrist. He's the guy that Jay sleeps with, like her her ex-boyfriend who comes back into the picture. He's the one who has the car that they drive to the beach house or lake house. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like in all three of those, he, he looks so, so different. And I was like, there's no way. But like, it is. Like, I think it's the same guy in all of them. Crazy. Well, that, I, give that, I give credit to Fede because... He he's able to at least make these characters look distinct, and yeah. even if they're the same actor, Jane Levy is an incredible actor, and like I, I just hope that she goes on to do lots and lots of stuff and gets to act with like Pacino before he dies and all kinds of things. I think, and maybe Nick, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think she's only done like these two movies and Suburgatory. Like I don't think she's done a lot of other stuff. She hasn't. She has a very limited repertoire, which I don't know why maybe she is very picky and choosy i i have no idea but i would love to see her in more things yeah because one of the things that i read on letterboxd some glowing review of don't breathe was about how she's becoming one of this guy's like favorite screen queens behind micah monroe who i love who's in the guest and it follows and also a zach efron movie 
at any price. Where Zach Efron is a race car driver. Um, <laughs> I love that this whole that your whole life has become okay. Which Zach Efron movie? It's weird. I mean, not everything correlates. It's not even what Soderbergh movie. It's what a Zac Efron movie. Well, I feel so. So here's something you might not know about me is that up until like three or four years ago, I'd seen a bunch of movies, but I really doubled down like three or four years ago. I've seen so many movies from recently. So my reference base is either from podcasts or from like the last couple years. So if I know someone, it's probably from a Zac Efron or a Nicolas Cage movie, or it's just like a recent movie. So it <laughs> makes absolute total sense, at least in my brain. Like, oh, how do I play six? degrees of Zac Efron with all the and it also was weird that like they all have been in movies with him like that is kind of crazy to me Ooh, she was in Monster Trucks. That's a shame. Oh. Oh, I actually heard it's, I mean, I'm not saying I heard it's good. All I'm saying is <laughs> I heard it's not as bad as you can imagine. Okay, well, I would believe that. Oh, yeah, Michael Monroe was, right? You were saying of her? No, 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 uh, Jane Levy. Oh, no, uh, Samara Weaving is in Monster Trucks. Is she in that? Well, I'm looking at her IMDb right now, and Jane Levy was in Monster Trucks. <laughs> That's a movie that, like, there's a few actresses that I really, really like, and Monster Trucks came up on the list, and I was like, I'm probably never going to see that. And New MacGyver's in it, the guy who played Havoc. Samara Weaving is in Monster Trucks. I was like, mm, probably not. Also Barry Pepper, also Thomas Lennon, Rob Lowe. Whoa, I might see this movie. Probably not, but I might see this movie. She was in part five of the new Twin Peaks. Okay. Wow. I think she sat at the bar. Yeah, probably. She is also in the new Stephen King series, Castle Rock. Oh, oh yes. Cool, and I'm very, cool. looking forward, I'm very much looking forward to that because that's also with Algie from uh, All right, Nick. From the Nick. Yep. I'm also very much looking forward to this as a as a Stephen King fan. Yes. So Melanie Linsky. Oh, okay. I definitely have to watch this. <laughs> I love Melanie Linsky too. She is an absolute delight. So the character of Rocky, this has nothing to do with anything. The character of Rocky from Don't Breathe, the Jane Levy character, was featured on Pop Sugar's list of 18 final girl Halloween costumes only badasses can pull off, ranking number four. I'm gonna look this up. Hold on. That's the cheapest Halloween costume. Like, no, that doesn't count, does it? As, as That's not a Halloween costume. Also, you have to spend so much time explaining who you are. Yeah. yeah. Like, you could go as Mia, but, like, you can't go as Rocky. I went as, uh, one year I went as Snake Plissken and I had to explain to everybody who the hell I was, and I hated it. I remember senior year in high school, I went as Richie from Dust Till Dawn, and I was spending <laughs> the whole day telling people not only what who I was, but what Dust Till Dawn was. <laughs> Okay, guys, I need to read this list to you because it is the weirdest list of costumes, quote-unquote costumes, that I've ever seen. So, okay. So, I guess from the bottom up, because number one is the most iconic of the characters, number 18 is Sydney Prescott from Scream, and the picture is just her in, like, a halter top and a jean jacket. Like, there's no costume. So, now, what we also have number 17 twice on this list... Mia Allen from Evil Dead. So oh. the picture of her is in her red dress, just soaked in blood. So see, like Ash from Evil Dead, like you'd have, you know, you can't just wear like the blue shirt. It's like you got to get the chainsaw hand, you got to get the right. shotgun. You know, like there's a yeah. like that makes it a costume. Yeah. Well, also, I would imagine you have to spend a lot of time at that party or wherever you are going. No, no, no. I'm not Carrie. I am. I yeah. am M Mia. I know I'm in a dress soaked in blood. I am from a horror movie, but I'm from the horror movie that you don't know about. And it's yeah. not the new Carrie I'm not. It's the old <laughs> Carrie I'm not. <laughs> Number 16 on this list, Donna Keppel from Prom Night. So she's just in a white oh. dress. All right. Okay. Number 15, Lila Crane from Psycho. Okay. But how? This is like, she's in a raincoat here. So cool. I'm a lady from the 60s in a raincoat. 
Barbara from Night of the Living Dead, who what? is just in a... Again? Like, w- these are terrible costumes. I'm saying this because this is a terrible, terrible list. I, I kind of love it now. Number 13, Kirsty Cotton from Hellraiser. So she's in a white t-shirt and just bloody, and her face is bloody. Number 12... A movie that everybody's seen, of course. Mary Beth from Hatchet 2. Oh, for God's sake. I might have seen Hatchet 1 at some point and totally forgot it. Then slid in here in the middle of the list, number 11, Clarice Starling from Silence of the Lambs, which, if you ever wanted to wear a pantsuit with your hair down, it's like, are you Dana Scully? No, 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 no. I'm the other FBI agent from the early days. I was just going to make that same joke. (laughs) I'm the original Dana Scully. Yes. Number 10, Erin Hardesty from the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Is that Jessica Biel? Because it looks like Jessica Biel. That's got to be Jessica Biel. Okay, yeah. Number 9, Julie James from I Know What You Did Last Summer. So if you want to just look like <laughs> Jennifer Love Hewitt and just what looks like black jeans and a white tank top and white pullover, cool. Number 8, Laurie Strode from Halloween. Now, number 7 is actually like the first one on this list that's actually like a good costume, Alice from Resident Evil. So like that is yeah. like, okay. you wear that, you're like, oh, people know what that is. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah, at least she has, like, the leather jumpsuit with the umbrella logo or something, yeah. yeah. I think it's the worst movie on the list. Well, maybe. But it is definitely the best costume. Although you were also, you just, the episode of Real Bad that came out this week that you are covering as we record this is Mortal Kombat. And I think it's sort of-ish on par. I really like, I have a soft spot for the first Resident Evil movie. I think Mortal Kombat's probably more fun. Same director. Yes, Paul W.S. Anderson just loves those video game movies. But... I digress. Number six, Sarah Carter (laughs) from The Descent. Sarah Carter from The Descent. So if you ever just want to look like you're spelunking but be covered in blood from a movie that, like, everybody should see but nobody has seen, there we go. And see the right version. See the uncut with the extra scene at the end. Number five is Amanda Young from Saw, who is the one who wears the face mask that, like, rips her head open. Oh, yeah. She was in Becker. So you got to wear the face mask? Yep. I guess. Where are you going to get that? I mean, I guess if you can do that. Yeah. That would be impressive. If, like, someone rang the doorbell and they actually crafted the, like, head torture device from Saw, it'd be like, oh, here's all the candy. Yeah. (laughs) Number four, Nancy Thompson from A Nightmare on Elm Street. So she's just, like, in 80s clothes, talking on a phone with a tongue in it. So number three, we have Rocky from Don't Breathe, which, love her in this movie, does not wear, I could not tell you a single costume that she wears, so I'm not, I'm, I'm, you know, looking at this picture. So you put the backpack full of money on facing forward, and then you hire someone's little kid to walk around with you. Cool. All right, cool. Number two, Alice Hardy from Friday the 13th, which she was just like in a tattered shirt in a canoe. And then number one, which I don't know how this is on the list of the rest of them, Ellen Ripley from Alien. Like, cool. Okay, actual costume. But like, why is this on the list with these other like random ass horror movies? That's weird. Super, super weird. You know, thank you for reading that list to us, man. I, 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 feel, <laughs> I feel enriched. How did I? Oh, because I, I was the IMDb trivia. I was like, how did I even find that list? I couldn't even remember how I got there. So another thing, another little bit of trivia is that apparently Don't Breathe was going to even have a darker ending that Rocky was going to be caught in the basement, the police were going to show up and not find her. And they were like, oh, that's depressing. Let's not do that. Why is this, why is there this need to punish that character? Like, that's what I don't get. I don't get why that character, like, she doesn't seem to be that bad and she seems to come from a horrible place and all she wants to do is save you know save herself and her niece i think or is it her little sister i think it's her daughter isn't it her daughter no i don't think it's her daughter oh my god i thought it was her daughter both viewings because i feel like if if it was her daughter i feel like there would be reason to get out of there like it feels like her saying you want to move to california with me is like hey let me rescue you 
To me, the only thing I could come up with was he needed a female. I mean, I was wondering, like, how does he even know if she's ovulating and all this kind of stuff? Like, he's just going to do... Well, I think he probably just does it every day. The movie kind of builds in its claws where it's like a girl hit his daughter, so it has to be a girl. But it didn't originally, I guess. I mean, I don't know. What if a guy had killed his daughter? You know, what would he do then? Chain him up in the basement? His motive... Like, I don't understand him in the first place by the end of the movie. So, like, all the motive is a little fuzzy throughout. Well, I mean, I'm asking about Fide. I'm asking about Alvarez. Like, why Why does he, why do the writers want to punish this woman? I don't know. Like, that is the thing that bothered me about this film. And it's, it's present in Evil Dead as well. The men do get, you know, messed up, but it's the women who have the real horrible stuff done to them. Within Evil Dead, it's like, okay, well, it's Evil Dead. Again, it's about violation. It's about things getting inside of you and making you cause self-harm etc cetera, etc cetera. but then when it carries over into this i'm more like wait a minute wait a minute now i have to ask why like yeah. why why did you want to make this movie and i don't have an answer i can't speak for him but like something that crossed my mind watching it because that that crossed my i was like it is kind of weird that he made two movies that are brutal to women and there's got to be something behind that for don't breathe especially the first time watching it coming away i was like i it feels like someone who's trying to say this is a strong woman who can sort of beat up these giant men but the second time watching it that didn't hold as strong but i almost wonder if he thought that he was showing a person going through the gauntlet getting beat up but also surviving and winning but then that fell apart too because the guy ends up surviving in the end. Well, she also has to be saved by the guy who's pining after her. Oh, yeah, and that was confusing, too. I thought for sure he was dead. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, he becomes, like, superhero, too. Like, he gets stabbed through the chest with a pair of, like, what are those? No, he doesn't. He grabs his buddy's dead body and, like, puts it over his body, and so the blind guy thinks he stabs him, but it actually goes through his buddy's body. That's why I was confused why he was still alive, too. I must have looked down for half a second and missed that. Because I looked down and missed it. I don't remember, I don't know how I remembered it now, but I remember seeing it from the first time. Like, they're in that room. Like, that's also, like, a a completely separate thing, but, like, they're in that room, like, that workshop or, like, the tool bench room or whatever. Like, like, there's, like, all those tools on on the cork board, and, like, they zoom in to, like, show that one tool early on and like it doesn't really come back in like in a big way like it's just it's just strange the little decisions that are made there but yeah he like grabs the brother from Lady Bird and puts it on his body and then blind guy hears it gets stabbed into flesh and then just assumes that the kid's dead oh okay well then that makes more sense but I still don't like the fact that she has to be saved by a man and she has to be saved by this guy who's been pining after her like that again it goes against okay I'm gonna have a strong kick-ass female but she still needs to be saved by a dude yep there is one scene in Don't Breathe that I genuinely love and wish was in a different movie somehow. <laughs> but when she traps the dog in the car, I thought that was really cool. Like, she's being way too smart at that point than they've set her up to be, I think. But I really thought that was awesome and a good move and everything. And well, um, I thought she was going to get away. But. I don't know if she's set up to be... I don't, I, I don't think she's set up to be dumb. I think she's definitely set up to be fearless. Yeah, no, but, like, that was a super clever move on her part. Like, that was really quick thinking, and I don't, none of them really displayed any of that up until that point. That's, it sort of felt like it was a scene that he had lying around, and he needed to, like, (laughs) you know, it's like, I gotta, I gotta put this in a movie, and and he found a way to put it in this movie. I agree. My problem is it feels like something from a different movie. It just feels like something from a MacGyver-type movie. Like, it's, this hero has not been shown to us to be, like, this puzzle maker or this trap builder or anything like that. And so this kind of 
comes out of nowhere. I like the scene. I agree uh, with you, Mike. I, I like that scene a lot. Well, also, at that point in the movie, I was like, shouldn't this movie be over? I think I feel like I feel like the movie should be over. Yeah. I, I did feel like she should have just gotten away, like ran down the street and then cut the bus stop. But it does sort of just pull you back in like for another round, I guess, there at the end. There's another cool dog scene where the dog chases her through the vents or like the, the, the dots oh, I like of that. the house. That's yeah. cool. I wasn't expecting that. Yeah, that kind of reminded me of Aliens. There's something surreal about that shot of the dog just like shimmying like <laughs> yeah. through like the thing. Like you look back and see that. You don't know whether to laugh or scream. And Yeah, it's weird, but I did like that sequence. And I, I remember thinking, okay, well, I guess we're ramping up this movie now. Wow. Well, that's one thing that I sort of want to give it credit for is that they're both short movies, which I am very thankful for. Like, uh-huh. thank you for keeping this both about 90 minutes. But number two, like, it seems like... Like every 20 minutes or so, there's like a crazy shocking thing, which even having seen this before, I wasn't really prepared for. Like the friend getting killed early, them getting down to the basement 40 minutes in. I was like, they're here already? Like, I thought that was like the reveal at the end. The fact that that's like halfway through, I was like, oh. And then like, as soon as they quote unquote rescue the girl, she dies like two minutes later. Like there's shocking things that I think are effective and not just gratuitous. Like, I think that there are actual, not like jumps, but like surprising moments. You're like, oh shit, like, I, didn't, I didn't expect that to happen already. Well, no, the movies, both the movies, I think, to their credit, try to subvert expectations. And I think they're more successful at that and less successful at times. And I think he's more free to do that with Don't Breathe, right? Like, as we talked about, he's not saddled with anything. I think that's there. And I, I agree. I appreciate that. And it's funny, too, because, like, there is a lot to like about Don't Breathe. My problem is that it went to a place it just like, sure, yeah, you can do this. You can have a, you know, a, a mounting rape scene and, a, and violence against women in this day and age. But why? Why? And that's what I keep coming back to is like, well, why do you want to show this to people? What do you want out of this? And I don't have an answer. And that frustrates me because I think there is legitimate talent here. But I think a lot of people are legitimately talented and aren't maybe getting as many opportunities as Alvarez is. And it just seems like it went in such a direction that it's like, there's no reason for this. You didn't have to make a movie about violence towards women. And it, it's a big thing to me. And it so that really just turned the movie off for me. And then you didn't have to go make a second movie about violence towards women. Like, I don't, like, it just, it's, yeah. yeah like, I what I, I do love, and I don't know if we've really talked about it on any of our podcast, but it's now easier than ever to get like a really, really nice camera in your hands and just go make things. I mean, the same way that we do the podcasts, like you can just go make things. And the fact that he was able to get you know, not a crazy huge movie, but like a remake of a movie that is like beloved by fans and he got a budget of $18 million based on like a short film. You can do that. So like, I don't know why he's getting these opportunities and other people aren't, but I think you just sort of have to get lucky. What I'm saying is if you're out there and you can make movies that aren't violent against women, just go make them, please. For yes, all of please us. do. Please. Yes. Yeah. I mean, hopefully he'll evolve, you know what I'm saying? And learn and, and grow and change. I mean, you know, hearing that they're doing a sequel doesn't instill confidence, uh, you know, immediately or anything like that. But, you know, there's two or three movies down the line. You know, there's no telling what kind of filmmaker he could turn into. I mean, if he's already making such a visual change from Evil Dead to Don't Breathe, and at least he's not putting the horror, the blood and all that kind of stuff, like it's not at the forefront anymore it's more like he's sort of gone into like the mind and like the idea to try and fuck you up 
and stuff with horror. So maybe he'll move even further and find, you know, a different niche and hopefully, yeah, away from victims and like all this kind of stuff. But I do think that he's got talent. Like he's, he's very talented. It just, I would like to actually see him do someone else's script. You know what I'm saying? Like I would like to see him get out of his own head a little bit and take someone else's material and like do maybe something with a bit more action to it you know nick you're saying this is sort of like a heist gone wrong like i'd like to see him just do a bank robbery film or something you know like what would that be like get away from the genre a little bit Right. Like, I, and I think it was one of the things that I loved when Spike Lee did that. Like, I loved it when Spike Lee went and did a heist film. Inside Man? Yeah. Which is great. Yeah. And I, so I would love to see, you know, I, it's something I also love to see filmmakers do different things. Even though I don't love all of his films, I don't even like all of his films, but I do appreciate all of Kubrick's films in terms of like, well, you did something different with every film, didn't you? So that's cool. And I'd like to see Alvarez do something like that as well. And that's the same thing I think we were talking about like with Soderbergh to bring it back to that for a second. It's like Mike and I, I know that we both hate, not maybe not necessarily the same movies, but we both hate Soderbergh movies, but they're both like, oh, you went and did that. And like, I don't know, I, I wish you didn't, but like I respect that you did. <laughs> something good always comes out of what we perceive as something bad. I always feel like whatever he did in the movie I didn't like was Will reappear better in a movie I do like. <laughs> like <laughs> that is a pattern. <laughs> that's fair. I think that's just about all that I have to say about these two movies. Do either of you have any other thoughts about, you know, stuff you like, stuff you didn't like, comparisons, contrast between the two, anything else that we want to touch on before we wrap up? I personally feel like I really got to talk a lot about what I liked and didn't like about both of these movies. I think so too. And I was I was wondering like if it was going to be really long or like an average length episode. And I'm glad that we were sort of able to reel it in. I don't know if I would have liked to have done like a full episode because like another thing we were talking about for the format of this is like do we do a full episode on the Evil Dead then a full episode on Don't Breathe? But I kind of like the compare contrast. Like you can right from the jump just say well these are the same things in both or the different things in both and you know whatever. I'm just excited to do more of these sort of one-offs you know here there every or whatever, because I think it's pretty cool. Yeah, I agree. I don't want to talk about Don't Breathe by itself for an hour. Right, yeah. And I don't want to right. talk about Evil Dead by itself for an hour, so I think See, we're there all happy here in the happy medium. <laughs> Mike, do you have any other thoughts about anything about Fede, or are we going to wrap it up and shutter the old Cinemaker's doors until Unsane comes out? Another back-to-back horror movies. That's kind of cool. No, yeah, I think I'm good. I think this was a good guy to start with. We don't talk a lot about horror movies. Uh, I'd love to talk about more. It's just they just haven't come up very often. Often. I love the genre. I just want to say just real quick that, like, Nick, we've done so many podcasts together, and we were so starved for horror that when we got to do Children of the Corn 3... Urban Harvest. ...as Charlize's <laughs> first movie, we were like, oh my god, like, it's the time has come. <laughs> we soaked it in. But, you know, this guy isn't American. Like, I think that was a really interesting thing, too, is to, just to get sort of his perspective on, well, Evil Dead, you know, which was made in America, you know, by these guys, these American kids and stuff so to get his filter of that is very interesting what he took away from it and wanted to turn it into oh actually and, one other thing just on that topic i'm sorry but mm-hmm. no, uh, no diablo cody came in and did a, a script rewrite and made it more american the people oh. that script and was uncredited on it but like you know that's kind of i mean i don't think you ever you, you don't usually hear about the people who come in and sort of script doctor 
Like, especially, like you say, you know, you know, this non-American born director and she comes in and she has a history of horror with like Jennifer's body and stuff and comes in and, you know, American. So I thought that was pretty cool. I wanted to make sure I mentioned that. Yeah. And then just finally, I just really like how these two movies are very different from each other, even though they're very similar to each other. You know, like there's that's yeah. so interesting to me. They share so many of the same elements, yet aesthetically, they're like completely different. Like you could, you know, it's unless you really knew and you just put these two movies on back to back and covered up the director it'd be very hard to tell that the same guy uh, made these two movies so I like that about him I you know and for that I'm looking forward to what he's doing next because I just have a feeling it's gonna be even more different I mean aside from the don't breathe sequel like I just can't get that out <laughs> you know I'm not <laughs> counting that for some reason I don't I just uh, I don't know what's going on with that but uh, everything else labyrinth bring it on this is how I feel about James Cameron it's like I, I'd really love to see you do something new not another avatar film ever oh so so i don't know what this other thing is but i was looking at stephen lang's imdb the guy who plays blind man in this movie and if you look at like what he's got coming up the next handful of years he's got whatever rogue warfare is but then he's got a rogue warfare mini another rogue warfare mini and then avatar 2 avatar 3 different movie avatar 4 avatar 5 different movie it's like oh didn't this guy's life in avatar what <laughs> He Isn't died he in Avatar. Dead? He's, He's back. Dark. Miles is back, baby. Twin brother. Uh-oh. <laughs> Space clone. <laughs> I don't know, but yeah, so it's just funny to look at, because he also, like, for, apparently for this one, like, there's, they did a bunch of, like, short films, like, I don't know if they were viral marketing or, like, YouTube shorts or whatever, but there's, like, five Don't Breathe, so if you, like, look through this guy's IMDb, it's, like, five avatars, five Don't Breathe, it's just like, oh, like, this is just, this is his life now, or whatever, so, yeah, that's all I got. I would have loved to have seen him in, like, some of these new Planet of the Apes movies as one of, like, the crazy human generals or something, that, he's very intense, it's like, even in Avatar, he stands out, I like the guy. He's really good, Stephen Lang is really good. He petitioned to play Cable in Deadpool 2. Oh, shit. That would have been great. Brolin's great, but that would have been great. I haven't seen Deadpool 2 yet, but I was really kind of pulling for him because he's, man, he's still ripped. Yeah, and he's like a elder guy, right? Like, he looks to be in, like, his 60s or something, but, he's, like, he's huge. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, my it's funny because he was in one of my favorite movies as a kid. I don't know. I haven't seen it in a really long time, so it may not hold up. But he played one of the villains in the movie Tombstone. Oh. Ike. He's the guy that was just basically a big panicker with the cowboys. And I, I loved him in there. He did such a great job. And then I just sort of he looks so different in everything from Avatar to Don't Breathe. And then he's in, he play, had a special guest appearance in one of my favorite shows called Psych. Uh, oh. And he was great in there as well. Well, cool. Well, thank you, Nick, for joining us. If you like the sound of Nick's voice every Monday here on the Cage Club Podcast Network, you can go check out Real Bad, which is his podcast where he and his friends talk about real bad movies and why they want to hurt them. Or sometimes surprisingly sneaky fun movies like Mortal Kombat or what's another movie that you really liked that sort of caught you off guard? Man, there have been two or three. I think the one that surprised me that I still loved it so much was A Long Kiss Goodnight. I mean, that's, that's I like that movie a lot. Also, we cannot go without saying your favorite movie of last year, The Emoji Movie, apparently, because you have you oh. defended that movie to no end. <laughs> oh, so, God. I saw it, Nick. I had to go. I went to theaters <laughs> with my niece and nephew. So, Oh, man. Yeah, you can find us at Real Bad Pod on Twitter, and you can keep up with everything. It is a labor of love, and I, I both love and hate subjecting my friends to these movies. 
I'm just trying to figure out if it's like financially feasible for me to come out to Montana and do one in person with you because you don't do anything remotely. I have a real FOMO of like being so <laughs> close and yet so far. And I also want to see the complexity of the because I've seen in pictures the couch room from which you record, and I want to be in that room at least once in my life. So it's really <laughs> lovely. You're welcome to come out. You could even pick the film. Wow. Oh, I mean, with that kind of power, I don't know why I wouldn't come out there. Also, Montana is gorgeous and like it's one of my like three favorite states in the country. But aside from that, I just want to talk about a bad movie in the indoor space. <laughs> so yeah. So thank you, Nick. You're welcome. So for all things Cinemakers, all of the episodes of Steven Soderbergh, you know, what's coming next, all the Christopher Nolan movies, whatever else, this is going to be one place for all directors. The Cinemakers thing is going to go on forever. One thread to rule them all. Cageclub.me, Facebook.com slash Cageclub, at Pod on Twitter, and now also on Instagram, so go check that out. Uh, I also found out today, as we're recording this, Mike, on this day, 10 years ago, the only Indiana Jones movie that matters was released. Oh. So shout out Mutt Williams. What up, Mutt? Shout out all his movies. Shiloh God damn it. <laughs> Cageclub.me, Facebook.com slash Cageclub, at Cageclubpod, on Twitter and Instagram. Email us, cinemakers at Cageclub.me. If there's a director that you have, like, a couple movies that you think would be cool to do an episode about, sooner rather than later, we're going to do an Alex Garland episode. We're going to do a Shane Carruth episode. But if there's one out there that you want us to talk about, shoot us an email, let us know, especially if it doesn't have violence against women. So let us know. Yeah, I would appreciate that as well. <laughs> I'm Joey Lewandowski. I'm Mike Manzi. And that was Nick Jenkins, and we'll see you next time on Cinemakers. Cinemakers.